What's up? What's up? What's up? Welcome back to episode 12 of the Pop Punk Project. My name's Mike. Hey, what's up? I'm Keenan. On this week's episode, we'll be discussing Yellow Card's fourth studio album, Ocean Avenue. We're excited because not only do we love this album, but we're going to be joined by a very special guest, friend of the show, longtime podcaster, Charlie Kelly. From It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. That's right. The very one. No, not that one, Mike. Oh. Almost as cool, though. You mean co-host of the Paper Boys podcast, Charlie Kelly, that one? That's the one. He'll do. He's fine. Since we are discussing Ocean Avenue tonight, how about we crowd surf in? Surf's up, dude. Hang 10. As you mentioned, Keenan, Ocean Avenue was Yellow Card's fourth studio album. It was produced by Neil Averin, who has also worked with Switchfoot, Newfound Glory, Fallout Boy, and Weezer. Wow, that Neil Averin sounds like a real legendary guy. And I know that you know your producers really well. I love them, Keenan. The album was the band's major label debut, released by Capitol Records on July 22, 2003. At the time of the release, the band was composed of Ryan Key on lead vocals, guitar, and he also played bass on the track Only One on this album. Seems pretty random. Yeah, if you thought that was random, check this one out. Sean Mackin, who plays violin, vocals, and also sings lead vocals on the song 23. Violin, did you say? I did. A fundamental part of Yellow Card's musical breakdown. Did you say fundamental? Yeah. Is that a word? Fundamental? Fundamental? Fund, yeah. Why'd you say it like that? Are you okay? <laughs> you didn't even, even after I corrected you, you're like, yeah, fundamental. Fundamental. I don't, I said Maryland last week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, do you want to just keep in fundamental? <laughs> no. That's right, Keenan. Violin. A fundamental <laughs> part of Yellow Card's musical makeup will come to find out. On lead guitar, Ben Eric Harper, and on drums and percussion, Longino Parsons. Oh, you nailed that name. Nice job. It's an easy one to pronounce. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Can I hit you with a quick fun fact on this lineup? Sure. Would love to hear it. So Yellow Card has had a couple different iterations of the band lineup throughout the years. The only member who's been in the band their entire history from 1997 to 2017 is violinist Sean Mackin. Really? Wow. That's right. Ryan Key joined the group on their second album. It's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. He replaced original lead singer Ben Dobson, which is a bold move. I think it's pretty rare you see a band replace their lead singer, but I think it paid off in this case. I don't know. I've never heard Ben sing, but I guess we'll never know. I'm not going to listen to their first album, so I'll never (laughs) hear him sing either. I really didn't listen to many of their earlier albums. This was the first one I listened to. I don't know a lot of their earlier songs. Do you? I don't. They have three other albums before this. They have a lot of material that I guess we just don't know. It reminds me of Green Day because I love Green Day. I love Yellow Card and I love many of their albums. I still have no desire to go back and listen to the ones I missed out on. I've tried. There's a couple songs that stand out. 
at this point in my life, that boat has sailed. <laughs> well, at some point, maybe we'll review it, but there is a reason why these albums are the breakthrough albums and not those earlier ones. Yeah, I'm excited for our first album where we just hate every song. <laughs> well, here's the thing. We're just burning through all the breakthrough albums and all the big successes, and eventually we're going to have to listen to albums where we're like, eh, take it or leave it. True. Can't wait for that. The album was a commercial success, led by the hit single Ocean Avenue and a handful of other singles. It's been certified platinum in sales by the RIAA. In support of this album, Yellow Card played the Vans Warped Tour during the summer of 2003, and afterwards they toured clubs in the U.S. while doing various radio show appearances. In March and April of 2004, a couple months after Ocean Avenue, the single was released, they went on a co-headlining tour of the U.S. with Something Corporate, with opening acts, Stereogram, and The Format. Can I say something quick about that lineup? Sure. Something corporate, obviously, we know and love. Format, I know a couple Format songs. I don't know a lot about them, but Stereogram. Do you remember Stereogram? I remember Stereogram only because I love the song Walkie Talkie Man. I was just going to say that. That's the one song I know by them, and the music video, I remember vividly. All the band members in that video were made of yarn or string or something right and the entire music video was them being unraveled playing these instruments that were made fully of string and yarn it was really weird and it was a pretty good song yeah i love that song it might have been in one of the early ipod commercials that sounds right yeah i do remember that back in the day when itunes first became a thing when i would get itunes gift cards i would think about what songs i wanted to buy and that was definitely one that i purchased at some point yeah, that was a big one. And Keenan, you mentioned you knew a couple songs by the format, but did you know that their singer was Nate Roos, who went on to start the band Fun as well? Oh, is that who that is? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Interesting tidbit. I do not know that. I saw Fun play early on when they opened for Jack's Mannequin. Ah, Something Corporate. Which was Andrew McMahon from Something Corporate's other band. And then Fun achieved crazy commercial success, the likes of which the format never came close to. Wow, what a fun fact, Mike. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of fun, what kind of fun things were going on in the world back in July of 2003? I'm happy you asked that, Mike. Although, I'm sorry, I have to start with a very controversial topic. Uh Uh-oh, okay. Our friends across the pond in the United Kingdom... After many years of controversy, the United Kingdom House of Commons again votes to ban fox hunting. Wow. I know that that's a controversial topic. I didn't want to dive into fox hunting this week, but, you know, it's important that we discuss it. It is. Address the elephant in the room, you know? Especially given the current climate. I know. The war in Iraq, post 9-11. I think... A lot of political dramas going on, but fox hunting, that's the priority over in GB. I think fox hunting really was a huge deal in England. It was. It was the big controversy of the day. I know. I'm saying. (laughs) I don't know what animal you can relate it to in the U.S. because most of the ones that are hunted here are overpopulated, so it really doesn't make that much of a difference. But yeah, imagine waking up, you turn on the news, you're all decked out in your fox hunting gear, ready to go out (laughs) with the boys. (laughs) Yeah. Shut it down. Not allowed. 
put the musket back on the wall. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like those scenes of all the guys in the old-timey outfits with the bloodhounds. Isn't that like a classic fox hunt scene? Yeah, the fox and the hound. Oh, fox and the hound. That was the main conflict in that film. That's right. The hound was supposed to help hunt the fox, but he loved the fox. On July 5th, somewhat topical, the SARS virus is declared contained by the WHO after affecting 26 countries and resulting in 774 deaths. SARS is very closely related to COVID-19, is it not? It is, but what gave Pete Townsend and Keith Moon the authority to declare it contained? (sighs) Oh, God. Was that good? I mean <laughs> on the same day that the Czar's virus was contained Czar's Sars on the same day Sars was contained Serena Williams contained her sister Venus on the tennis court Oh wow What do you mean <laughs> She repeated as Wimbledon champion by beating Venus by scores of 4-6, 6-4, and 6-2. Sounds like a hotly contested match to me, Mike. I'm sure it was. Serena, the younger sister, ended up being the much more dominant tennis player. I wonder how often that's the case. I do remember back then they were very competitive, but Venus always had the upper hand. Typically, Venus would win those close matches, and then there was a point in time where Serena became the more dominant player, and... There was a big shift in that dynamic. I guess this was probably the beginning of that shift. I think so. If it was repeat championships, sounds like the shift has shifted. (laughs) Uh, You're awfully shifty tonight, Mike. (laughs) July 14th, the U.S. government acknowledges the existence of Area 51 officially. That's pretty big because they were hiding that for a real long time, weren't they? They were, and they also were still hiding what actually happened there, so... Until our boy Tom DeLong decided to investigate and reveal some of their secrets. That's right. We can't let them off the hook, though. We need to know all the answers. We do. I think that was the end of National Treasure 2. <laughs> was it? They went into the Library of Congress, and they were given access to all the... I don't... I think National Treasure 3 was going to be about aliens, but I don't think it ever happened. It didn't. I, I would have known I love those movies. Yeah, we definitely would have seen that. What do you think's going on in Area 51? If you just had to take an educated guess right now, what's your gut telling you? At this exact moment, absolutely nothing. You think there's nothing going on there? I don't. Mm, see, you're just part of the problem, Mike. <laughs> you're just another sheep. If they were doing experiments on aliens or whatever alleged activities were taking place, at Area 51, I doubt they would still be doing it at the exact same location after all this speculation (laughs) years and years afterwards. It's where you least expect it at this point. Now (laughs) everybody's like, oh, there's no way they would do that. See, Mike, you haven't caught on yet. But didn't we just do that Area 51 raid where like 27 (laughs) people from Facebook decide to Naruto run in there? (laughs) Oh, man, that seems like it was decades ago. Yeah, when did that happen? Was that 2019? It was like summer of 2019, maybe? (laughs) That would be something cool to do now. Let's see. (laughs) It would be cool to do now (laughs) with our masks on, though. 
Yeah, it was September 20th, 2019. Oh, man. So at least it was one year ago, but still. We'll just rely on Tom DeLong to continue to be at the forefront of this. And he will. That's literally his life's work. So thank you, Tom. Thanks, Tom. Check out this one, Keenan. This is pretty crazy. And I know we were younger, but I wouldn't picture the U.S. being the setting for. But on July 23rd, New York City Councilman from Brooklyn, James E. Davis, is assassinated at City Hall by former political opponent Othniel Askew. That's wild, right? Yep. Shocking. Let me elaborate on how both these men ended up at City Hall together. Please, elaborate. Davis brought Askew to attend a council meeting at the council chambers in New York City Hall with the intention of honoring him by introducing him from the balcony. The councilman and Askew were able to bypass the metal detectors, a courtesy offered to elected officials and their guests. Which, by the way, this is July 2003 in New York City. (laughs) Yeah, security is typically pretty high at that point in time. I bet they wished it were this day, too. Once in the balcony, as the full council and dozens of attendees gathered into the chamber for the meeting, Askew fired a silver forty caliber weapon at Davis, striking him several times in the torso. Whoa, that's insane. It is insane. Askew was then shot and killed by a plainclothes police officer, and both men ended up dying from this. My immediate thought of a politician being shot in the balcony is Abe Lincoln and John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. Which we hear about endlessly, and I never heard about this story once. Well, one was Abe Lincoln and one was some city councilman from New York, but I do see the point you're trying to make here. That is something pretty insane. I guess I don't expect broadcasters to go on the news every day with, and it's been X amount of days since James E. Davis was murdered. Yeah, But still, I mean, just from my perspective in browsing through Wikipedia pages over the year, it's like, hey, remember this, this crazy, insane thing that happened in this country? Yeah, for sure. It's something almost out of a movie, like a Born Identity movie or something. Or what's that? What are those assassination movies? Vantage Point? Remember that one? Yeah. But no, you bring up a good point. There was so much surveillance and security in those days that how could something like this happen? How could something so high profile happen? Incredible. Right this way, sir and guests. (laughs) And he was going to honor him too? How about this one, Mike? Let's hop back across the pond. You ready? Sure. Not just any pond, either. The Atlantic Pond. On July 27th, the BBC reported that after an extensive investigation of Loch Ness by a team that used 600 separate sonar beams, they found no trace of any sea monster in the loch. So all those years of speculation, all those supposed sightings of a prehistoric animal that was swimming through the loch, they decided to uh, confirm once and for all that There is, in fact, nothing down there. That's kind of a bummer, though. It is a bummer. I like a good British conspiracy. Yeah, it's part of the fun. This was a really rough month for conspiracy theorists. I know. What the heck? Debunking left and right. It's like, okay, little win, Area 51 exists, and then just a major blow with Nessie doesn't. And on July 31st, Keenan, Bigfoot was found dead. No. Uh, That would just be too many. That would be the trifecta. How about some famous early 2000s weddings? Mike, you ready for this? 
I actually have come to look forward to these. You're very good at digging these up. Yeah, these are fun. You probably spent more time researching these than these couples spent married to one another. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah. Uh, no, these are fun because once I say them, you're going to be like, oh my God, what a 2003 headline. July 5th, Dawson's Creek actor James Vanderbeek weds actress Heather Ann McComb in Malibu. Dawson's Creek, man, that was like the teenage drama. It was. It was another one I didn't watch. I never watched it either. I think we were just a little bit too young for it. Yeah. What was the song off that? I don't want to wait. Yeah. From my life. Yeah, for yeah. over that one. I don't wanna wait for all nights to be over. Will it be? Yes, so will it be. Sorry. James Vanderbeek was Dawson. <laughs> yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> this here is my creek. <laughs> No, I was saying that has kind of come back into pop culture with the meme of James Vanderbeek crying. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, I don't know if I don't know if that's a thing today, but yeah, a few years ago that was a pretty popular meme. Two thousand seven. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that meme. Get with the times, dude. I know memes are too complex now. But do you also remember Pacey? Pacey in that show was. The actor whose name I don't know from The Mighty Ducks, who's Charlie from The Mighty Ducks. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Remember that guy whose name we don't know? <laughs> that's great. Whose no, name that's... I decided not to look up right before this? <laughs> I thought, oh, that'll never come up in conversation. He might have been the man. I'm not sure. <laughs> Charlie in The Mighty Ducks, watching that movie later on in life, he was such a whiny crybaby. He was probably the worst character, to be honest. We gotta do it. <laughs> Guys, you know, his, stop his cheating. Famous line. <laughs> All of his lines. He was upset because they were taking dives and it's like, I don't want to take a dive. I want to play the right way. It's like, Charlie, shut up, dude. Guess what? You suck when you play the right way, Charlie. Yeah, you're not good. You can't beat Iceland with that attitude. No. I'm going to play their game. Now get out of here while I make out with your mom. <laughs> it's literally what Coach Bombay did. Was that part of the story? I don't even remember. Uh... <laughs> I think there was some will-they-won't-they they sexual tension. I can't remember if they ended up getting together in the end. But You have a deadbeat dad, Charlie? Oh, no, his dad probably died. I think his dad died, yeah. <laughs> Don't you feel like a jerk now? His dad was literally deadbeat. Oh, jeez, dude. It's made up, dude. It's, it's a children's movie. <sighs> but very relatable. That could be anybody. It's knuckle puck time. Pop punk reference. And then on July 19th, Sabrina, the teenage witch actress, Melissa Joan Hart, weds Course of Nature lead guitarist Mark Wilkersonen in Florence, Italy. Uh, you know Mark Wilkersonen, right? From our favorite band, Course of Nature. <laughs> These weddings would have been better if James Vanderbeek had married Melissa Joan Hart. Ah, uh, see, that would have been the ultimate early 2000s wedding. Total power couple. But this guy, Mark Wilkersonen, actually wrote the Daughtry song, It's Not Over. You know that one. Everybody knows that one. I do know that one. So he's a pretty famous writer, musical artist. For that one? That's his one thing. Yeah, that's his <laughs> one claim to fame. Can't you just let him have that? He also married Melissa Joan Hart. Do you need more than that? True. It's a pretty big deal. Sabrina the Teenage Witch, dude. I think I spoke too soon because it looks like Melissa Joan Hart is still married to Mark. Wil his name's Mark Wilkerson, dude. No, it's Wilker Sonnen. 
It's Wilkerson. What? It's Mark Wilkerson. It is? Yeah. <laughs> Why is it Wilkerson in here? Oh, no. Either a typo on the website or you messed up in Florence, Italy and like moved in onto the end of his name. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I totally read that wrong. What? Wilkerson? <laughs> you know the famous name Wilkerson? I thought. <laughs> He's so famous. <laughs> we don't even know what his name is. Oh, God. Okay, now I feel like an idiot. I put my foot in my mouth saying that they probably weren't still together, and they are, and you just added an extra syllable to the end of his name. It happens. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep you on your toes, Mike. I was just seeing if you would notice or not. <sighs> All right, let me shake off that little blunder there, Mike. I can redeem myself here. Let's talk about some of the themes of the album. So as you go through these songs, I think there are some pretty immediate ones that come to light. Yellow Card in this album, they love to talk about major transitions in life, moving away from home, chasing your dreams, saying goodbye to loved ones. And they also talk about all the major changes that go along with those transitions, such as changes in relationships, ending relationships, saying goodbye to your significant other, long distance relationships, trying to make that work. And then also the regrets and the acceptance that go along with all those things. Those are a lot of things that come up in a lot of these songs. And those are some things we've seen in the past as well. Some more, I guess, wholesome and emotional themes, a bit of a departure from the typical themes we see in these songs. Get this, Keenan. appreciation for parents. I know. I noticed that one. Pretty wild. That's not what you typically hear. Not absolute disdain. Utter contempt for your family and parents. <laughs> There's also songs about losing friends and saying goodbye and all that that entails and we'll get to this but maybe our first 9-11 song and a tribute to the first responders of that fateful day i was pretty surprised to see that that's something that you never hear and definitely a high point on this album if i may get ahead of myself totally agree with you the last thing to point out that i think is important they're a pop punk band with a violinist i mean you also never see that. That's such a crazy concept to me. But it does add a totally different sound to their music, to their general vibe. And I think what it adds a lot of the time is more emotion. You get almost an orchestral sound in a lot of their songs. Sometimes they use the violin like a lead guitar. They do solos with the violin. It's such a crazy different thing that we've never experienced before. And I don't think we ever do. I know we discussed at length for All American Rejects, they used a lot of different instruments on that album. Mm -hmm. And on a couple of songs, they had string arrangements, but it was not an instrument that was an essential part of every song. It was a nice cherry on top. It sounds odd on paper, but without the violin, these songs just don't sound the same. They lose some of their luster. They definitely do. It's a featured instrument in Yellow Card, whereas with other bands, if they decide to use a violin or a string ensemble, it's always in a support role. It's always a background instrument as opposed to having the spotlight. It's the novelty, not the norm. Yeah, that's exactly right. Nice alliteration there, Mike. Thanks, I thought so. And now I'd like to bring on a very special guest. He is a friend of the show, my pal Charlie Kelly. Charlie was a rower at Princeton with me. I've known him for uh, quite a while now. He's also the host of the very popular, very interesting podcast, the Paperboys podcast, 
with James Rosenthal. Charlie, welcome to the program. I'm happy to be here. I've been waiting 12 weeks for this. 12 weeks. We've been waiting 12 weeks to have you and uh, very excited to have you on. So real quick, just tell us a little bit about the Paperboys podcast. You talk a lot about science articles, scientific topics. You dumb it down for the layman like us, for the dum-dums like us. But where are you guys at in your production cycle now? So yeah, I'll preface it by saying we're kind of on a hiatus, but we have a huge backlog of episodes. So if you are interested, go check it out. It's Paperboys. The whole premise is we read papers that are making headlines and then we actually like break down the papers. So usually we get to call out kind of the misinformation that's being presented in the reporting. And I don't know, we try to have fun with it too. But we've been on a break for a couple months now and we've only just started talking about coming back. Ooh. We've got some some ideas in the works. Anything you can share? Can you uh, drop some little tidbits for us or what? Yeah, so we've just been throwing a couple of ideas around for maybe even a new show entirely. Whoa. I'll leave it at that. Is it about pop punk music? Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, boy. We're in trouble. <laughs> Dude, we should collab. Dude, you can keep coming on. Please just don't replace me. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> oh, there's a concept. <laughs> if we did that, every week would be about Yellow Card because it's the only pop punk I like. Very true. Good. You can do the first three albums with Keenan because we just discussed how we were never going to listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> I've never listened to a single other Yellow Card album. Well... That's okay. not true. I think I bought Lights and Sounds, but it was not the same. Not as good. We can agree it's not as good. It's not the same. I do love that album, though, actually, I should say. My next question, Charlie, is what exactly is your experience with pop punk music? I think the reason why I wanted you to come on to the Yellow Card episode is because I always knew through college and beyond that you were a huge fan of Yellow Card. In particular, you love this album. And it seemed like you were a bigger fan of pop punk music, but you always had a soft spot for this album. So what exactly is your history with pop punk music? What is it about this album that stands out to you? So it's kind of funny, actually, like in middle school, I was one of the people who thought I was too cool for pop punk. One of those scoundrels. Like my friends would be, you know, listening to Good Charlotte. And I was like, oh, you listen to Good Charlotte, please. <laughs> I listened to Led Zeppelin, you know. Oh, God. But. I don't know. Yellow card broke through for me. I mean, this album came out in what, 2003? I was in fifth grade yeah. or maybe sixth grade. And uh, yeah, this was just like my number one, probably the only one that I was really genuinely listening to when I was a kid, like at the time. Okay. Uh, but then after that, when I got older, I had more of an appreciation for pop punk. Um, I had this one friend in college named Keenan who would only play <laughs> pop punk at every single party ever. So Wow. Sounds like a really cool, attractive guy. Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about him behind his back, but yeah, it's fair. Uh, no, but I mean, honestly, like my appreciation for pop punk comes probably entirely from you now, Keenan. Wow. Wow. What a bold statement there. You're my inspiration. As if your ego wasn't big enough. Yeah. <laughs> Just keep feeding me, baby. Keep feeding me. Well, that's huge. And you were also in a band in high school. I don't think you were pop punk. You were probably oh, no. more like classic high school garage band alternative is how I would describe it maybe? No, I think classic garage band alternative was like trying to play like Rage Against the Machine and mm, Nirvana probably. We thought we were Death Cab for Cutie. Ah, okay. We were that kind of band. And we were. We were just as good. <laughs> I'm sure you were. You were the drummer, right? Yeah, I played drums. Um, That's great. Another musician on the podcast, Mike. So that makes three. That Actually, three. Uh, 
fun fact about our band before we officially like formed as bcl we had major inspiration from yellow card and one of our friends was the viola player in our band wow that's awesome not violin viola and uh i think we learned why most bands can't pull it off like yellow (laughs) card does what does bcl stand for well can you say yeah i can um our friends told us it stood for Big Crew Losers because we were all on the wrong team. Got him. Uh, but it actually stood for Benson Community Light Switch, which has no meaning whatsoever. That sounds cool, though. Really, there's a deep, deep meaning, but it's a band secret. So we'll never know, Mike, which is fine. You create your own meaning. Yeah, I'll send you our EP, Salty Crouton, after this. Maybe you guys can do an episode. We could on. plug it. Maybe we could drop a, a clip right here. I'll send you something. <laughs> You might get copy striked. <laughs> yeah, probably will. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the one that takes us down. Yeah. How there was a laughter as descended from a dark haze. When there's a silent moment from the wind and the waves. The wind and the waves. And that's the episode, right? Yeah. Are we done? All right, that's that's it. We can we can end it now. Oh, before we dive into the album, I want to give a teaser. I have a gift for you guys, but I'll present it at the end of the episode. Whoa. Whoa. I want to build up some hype. I don't know if I can wait. I'm so excited. It'll be worth the wait. Okay, cool. <laughs> I'm so giddy. All right, <laughs> let's get to track numero uno, Way Away, the debut single from the album. So this was the debut single. It was one of the most popular songs from the album. In my opinion, I think one of the catchiest songs. I think it was one of the harder hitting songs on the album. Charlie, what is your first impression of this song? I had kind of the exact same thought that this was definitely like the heaviest song on the album. Kind of an interesting way to like start the album, I guess, because the rest of it really isn't like this. It's also kind of interesting that this was their single. Yeah. There's probably five or six songs on here they could have picked as their singles and they all would have done just as well. I totally agree with that. You're right. When I re-listened to this album, I was actually surprised at how many slower songs there were. Because when I think of this album, I think of The Way Away, The Ocean Avenue. There's a lot of like acoustic songs. There's a lot of softer songs featuring more violin, but they do come pretty hard out of the gate with Way Away.
Yeah, this is a great upbeat <laughs> opening track. <laughs> I'll go on record as saying I enjoy every single song off this album. I think we see in what's to come with how Ocean Avenue, when that single was released, they blew up. That I think they picked the wrong first single, I guess you could say. That doesn't detract from the song whatsoever. It's still a great song. but Maybe they needed that steady build. Maybe they knew how to peak at the right time. That could be too. Well, what's this song about, Charlie? What are your thoughts? So they actually have like said in interviews, this song is, it's kind of about like, they're leaving home and they're choosing their destiny. It's about, uh, you know, kind of making a way for yourself, which, I mean, this is like a really strong statement to start an album with. Yeah. Like all these other pop punk albums you guys have covered. I've never really listened to most of those albums all the way through. And what I notice is the first song, it's always like this you know, like Mike likes to say, it's upbeat and it's fast and it's kind of maybe lighthearted almost, or it's about a girl or about a party or something. But this one is like, we're yellow card. We do what we want. Like we're working our butts off to make life happen for us. Yeah. And it's really self-reflective because it's almost like Ryan is saying, I started this band and I wrote this album because I was chasing my dream. And here's the story of it. He's almost telling that story. I also got the sense that he was taking some jabs at the people that didn't believe in him or the haters. There's the lines, you can't stop me now, you can't hold me down, you can't keep me here, I'm on my way. It was almost like, oh, these are the people in high school who said I'd never be in a famous band, said it's not worth my time to move away to California, but here I am selling this platinum record. So I thought that was kind of cool, but you're right, it was kind of a edgy, bold way to come out of the gates. I got to say that's one of my favorite phenomena in music is songs about proving someone wrong that make it really big. Like um, CeeLo Green's, like, you know, F U. Mm -hmm. uh, one of John Mayer's first, like, hits ever was about, you know, I'm not going to college. I'm not doing what you guys all say I should do. I don't know. It's one of my favorite things. Yeah, I love it. It's like proving to the world that all this was worth it. I think Ryan Key does a good job of getting this emotion across of, you're stuck you're lacking emotion or drive or belief in yourself like you feel like you have this potential that's not being utilized and whether that's you being lethargic or wasting your talents or other people trying to put you down this is him screaming out every window pane is shattering i'm gonna sing my pop punk songs whether you like it or not and boy did he the music video kind of illustrates that storyline as well. I'm not sure if you guys had a chance to check it out or not. I did. And it is extremely representative of the content of the song. Ryan is the protagonist and it's him before being in Yellow Card or I guess before fronting a pop punk band, just working at a grocery store or a liquor store, being unhappy with his life and he's looking at the band jamming out to this song and thinking, why why not me? I could do that. And we come to find out the only difference between loser grocery store clerk Ryan Key and rock star Ryan Key is spiking his hair up. I was going to say that, his hairdo. <laughs> it's like the loser one has this like very lame, nerdy haircut, and the rock star one decided to put a little gel in that day. I mean, it worked for Guy Fieri, right? It did work for Guy Fieri. <laughs> this is a sensation now, so. 
going off that real quick, there was one day in fourth grade. I got to give a quick shout out to Paul Nixon because he actually introduced me to this album. He was into Slipknot and Metallica and he thought this sucked. So he gave me his copy. So thanks, Paul. Paul, you sucker. But there was one day in fourth grade where (laughs) I had always worn my hair down and he always wore his in spikes. I remember that. And I came in one day with my hair spiked and he came in with his hair down. (laughs) We just like both changed up our hairstyles and it was kind of funny. He probably knew you were going to do that and thought, "Uh, I can't. I can't look like Mike. I'm so glad hair gel kind of became a thing in the past. Like just that front flip. Yeah, agreed. Dude, it's kind of coming back though. You notice now high schoolers, they just get a big tuft of hair that kind of like hangs out (laughs) over the top of their head. Yeah. I was going to say, Charlie, do you have a little product in your hair? It looks great. I have no product in my hair. This is... uh, That's a natural wave? The product of seven years of not shampooing your hair. That's right. The rinse, no poo brotherhood. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. That's all it takes. No more shampoo. My hair just looks oily and um, flat. It doesn't get (laughs) volume. That gorgeous volume you have going Mm. on. It's actually a wig. I lied. Do you use shampoo, Mike? I do shampoo. There's your problem. Charlie, this song made me think about spreading your wings, finding your way on your own. What was your big fly away from home moment? If you had to pick one in life, what was your big one where you thought, okay, I'm an adult now. I'm going to break out and leave you now. (laughs) Um, It's the best I could do. Yeah. No, I do have a moment like that. And it's funny because, you know, I loved this album for so long as a kid but it's only really as an adult that I feel like I can really relate to a lot of the themes for this song. And then also later on um, miles apart, which is also kind of about this idea of moving away somewhere and doing something new. I really think about like when I started grad school, which was four years ago. Now I was 24 and you know, I had lived on the East coast, Connecticut, gone down to you know New Jersey for school and then DC for a couple of years for a job. But I was always kind of close to home and close to my friends and uh was kind of still doing the same stuff mostly on the eastern seaboard on the eastern seaboard and then uh i got into school in seattle washington and i never even visited i just you know one august i just flew out there very first time i set foot in seattle was to start school and i didn't know a single person out here my then girlfriend now wife was still living in new york so i was going to be you know cross-country long distance Mm. you know when i listen to this song now i can kind of I can kind of think back to that experience. Yeah. Just the whole album. I don't know. sort of converts like a scary experience into something that's more nostalgic now. Yeah. And it's a big transition for you. And Mike and I mentioned earlier that one of the main themes of the album is or seems to be transition. And so you're right. When you're going through a big transition like that, it's super relatable at that point in time. So that's cool. I'm going to move on. Speaking of transitions. hey Nice, Charlie. Track number two, Breathing. Charlie, this song actually always reminds me of you. Yeah. Let's get to it later, but it does remind me of you. <laughs> There's a story there. There is a story. I'll get to it later. But what do you make of this song? 
Well, my first thought on this song is, did you guys ever play that game Burnout 3 Takedown? I've played one of the Burnout games. I have no idea which one, but oh, I know man. exactly what you're talking about. Is this featured in it? Yes, this song is featured on, on the official soundtrack to Burnout 3, which was a killer soundtrack otherwise. It also had um, Fallout Boy, Reinventing the Wheel to Run Myself Over. Ooh. Newfound Glory, At Least I'm Known for Something. My Chemical Romance, I'm Not Okay. Uh, Motion City Soundtrack, My Favorite Accident, Jimmy Eat World, Just Tonight. Wait, let's review wow. that soundtrack Dude. for the next episode. Honestly, I am going to sign up for your highest Patreon tier and make you guys... <laughs> do a burnout three episode i would love that gladly that's incredible burnout three the tony hawk pro skaters those are all basically just pop punk soundtracks yes so this was featured on the burnout three one yeah so is that what it reminds you of yes because i used to play that game just nonstop. that's honestly to this day i still think that's one of the best games ever made so it's a shame you never played it was that ps2 era yes it was ps2 gotta check it out Mike, what are the themes in this one? Let me know what you think, but I took this as a relationship that the singer has tarnished mm-hmm. through his own actions. Yep. Whether it be cheating or just being a jerk. There are a couple lines that make me think like that. Like he feels guilty of something, and he's the reason that this relationship is now in a bad spot. Right. The general theme of not being able to sleep at night and... You're just up with your guilt. You're hearing your partner breathing and it's keeping you awake. But in actuality, it's your own missteps that are keeping you awake. Something that's typically comforting is now very uncomfortable. Right. And there are lines like, I just can't give you anything for you to call your own. And I know that I hurt you. Things will never be the same. The only love I ever knew, I threw it all away. So that makes me think of like, I can't even be a faithful, dedicated boyfriend to you i can't even give you that yeah he's definitely the villain in this song i kind of like that this song and the one before way away are both like these heavy like minor key kind of songs which again comparing to all these other pop punk albums there's not a lot of songs that sound like this you know like they're coming right out of the gate like oh we're not happy we're introspective and we're regretful and Mm -hmm. i don't know i think it kind of sets up the album really well They're very real. I feel like they want to tap into very real emotions that maybe you don't get from some of the more bass level skater pop punk bands that were pretty famous at this time. Another theme that this brings up is the beginning of the song has that really epic violin intro. Like they want you to know that they have a violinist. And it's a super heavy, super loud violin part. And that reminds me of back in the day, Charlie, we had a Vine account together (laughs) and we would create Vines. And one of our, I would say probably our most popular Vine, probably our most famous Vine. Probably the one we rewatched the most. (laughs) Considering (laughs) we were the only viewers of our own Vines. But I think I have it somewhere and I will happily share it on one of our social media accounts. But it featured this song and it awkwardly featured us in our boxers (laughs) very hard to explain this one yeah (laughs) 
I don't know what the thought process was, but we decided that it was going to be good content for the Vine world. I think that we were hanging out in Cloister. It was July in New Jersey. It was 100 degrees. No AC. And, you know, we were on a rowing team together already. So you walk around in your boxers, whatever, who cares? Yeah, casual. It's cool. And I think that we just couldn't be bothered to dress up for this Vine, even though it would turn into such a legend. Yeah. The whole concept of the Vine, the whole theme of it was just that we liked Yellow Card. (laughs) Right? It was like me, like, oh, Charlie, do you like Yellow Card? And you're like, yeah, I like Yellow Card. And the next thing was us and our boxers just rocking out to this song. It didn't make any sense. It was the drop of this song. We're both doing the yeah. air violin. Like. Yeah. <laughs> were you wearing clothes when you asked Charlie if he liked Yellow Card? <laughs> yeah, I think we were influenced to take off our clothes because of Yellow Card. Then that makes it hilarious. Yeah. Things got real once we realized our mutual love of Yellow Card. That's exactly right. Keenan would corner you at every party and just be like, did you happen to hear the new Boys Like Girls song that I listened to 75 times today? (laughs) When Keenan likes a song, he goes all in. He loves a song. I listen to it until I hate it, typically. Yeah. (laughs) Over and over and over again. Track number three. Here's a big one, boys. Ocean Avenue. The second single from the album. Obviously, a huge smash hit the biggest of smash hits it's probably the only one that anyone i know remembers from yellow card there's a place off ocean avenue where i used to sit and talk with you we were both 16 and it felt so right sleeping all day staying up all night I mean, this is like the epitome of the Yellow Card song. I think, Mike, when we talked about Blink-182, it was like all the small things was the Blink-182 song. This has to be the Yellow Card song, right? Right. This was the crossover song from people like us to normal people that (laughs) might not buy specific bands' albums. They just listen to the radio, and they heard the song as much as we did, most likely. What's it really about? When I was younger, I just thought it was a catchy song. And I always equated it with Ocean City, New Jersey, because Mm. the main strip there is Ocean Avenue. And I know that's probably not the Ocean Avenue they were referring to. No, it's not. But I always took it as a summer love, like a person that you would return to each summer. Maybe somebody that you only saw during the summer or you vacationed in the same place or you went to a camp together. Because the lines, we were both 16 and it felt so right. And then we were both 18 and it felt so right. It's just that summer love that can hit you hard and leave you just as fast, I guess. And then once they're 18, there are the lines about going their separate ways and it being so hard to say goodbye and they still think about each other. But for whatever reason, their life has taken them in different directions. So you think it's about a summer fling, which is a theme that we've come across a couple times in the past with a couple different bands. Right. It struck me as a summer fling or a summer love interest that it doesn't end because you break up or you dislike one another. It just ends because your lives are continuing without one another for whatever reason, college, jobs, traveling, whatever that might be. I almost saw it as a follow-up to Way Away, whereas Way Away, they were 
explaining how they were breaking free, they were leaving their hometown, spreading their wings and chasing their dreams. And now this one is, it's almost like they're feeling a little homesick after that. And they're saying, I miss my high school sweetheart. I miss my hometown. Big things out there for me, but really at some point I'd like to get back to the people I know and the people I love. I was pretty certain that Ryan Key wrote this song about Maggie Goldstone, my middle school crush. <laughs> but when I looked it up today, uh, it turns out that it wasn't. So what is it about? I think you're right, Keenan, that it's about, you know, they moved out of Jacksonville, Florida to Southern California. And it's funny because I always just assumed it was about Southern California, Ocean Avenue. Right. And I always pictured being in some beach outside of Los Angeles when I when I listen to the song and that's probably because the music video was filmed like that, you know, mm -hmm. or at least in like a California looking place. But I guess it's actually about Florida. I think Ocean Avenue is actually Ocean Boulevard in Jacksonville. Right. Uh, and Cherry Street is also like where their high school was or something like that. They talk about very specific locations in their hometown, which reminds me of when we did our Jimmy World episode, Mike, there were a couple Jimmy World songs where they discussed specific places in Tempe, Arizona, and in New York, and in Los Angeles. Places that Jim Atkins had been, had lived, and associated with this girl. So I think you're right, Charlie. This is Ryan associating good memories with his hometown and very specific locations in his hometown. And making that relatable so that if you didn't go and research the song's history and make the third guy that didn't go first and look like an idiot. I just wanted to get your wrong answer out of the way, Mike, so I could go to Charlie's correct answer. I think that was totally appropriate because it's exactly how I took the song when I was a kid, too. Was This is about a, a crush, a fling, missing someone or not wanting to leave someone. My crush went off to summer camp every year and Damn. it was devastating. That was a real concern back then. Yeah, I needed a song that really captured the way I felt. And they had it. Yeah. It's vague enough that everybody can relate to it. And it also specific enough that the band still sees value in it after they play it for the millionth time. Like it <laughs> yeah. still means something to them. Yeah. Can I share something that I found when I was doing a little bit of research into this song specifically? Sure. So in an interview about this song and this album in which they do explain that this song is about their hometown of Jacksonville, Florida. Guitarist Benjamin Harper also threw some shade at the popular pop punk and emo bands of the time. When asked how this compared to those other bands, he said, we're not getting, oh, it's just another good Charlotte because we do our own thing. I just think we're a little more intellectual when it comes to our songwriting, our performances, and our story. We have a story to tell. Those are the only rock bands that have really gotten any hype lately 
on that kind of level. Hopefully we'll bridge a gap between cheesy and cool. You can be catchy, but not be some kind of little kid thing. Man. Oh, man. That's what he said when answering questions about this album. He decided to just burn bridges with Good Charlotte's Simple Plan. He like actually mentioned them by name. Couple that quote with Way Away being Ryan Key's song fetishizing. Fetishizing. <laughs> fetishizing. <laughs> Couple that with Ryan Key writing Way Away pretty much about how awesome he is and then <laughs> it's good that they had this much confidence in themselves yeah you know what i'm getting from this is that i was a, a snob in middle school yeah that's exactly what it was because i was the one saying oh good charlotte simple plan those are for little kids yeah i listened to yellow card you were literally their target audience and their target demographic that's clear to me now yeah they're like look we don't make music for sixth graders we make music for eighth graders okay yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you wouldn't get it Track number four, a little bit of an emotional turn here. Empty Apartment. Honestly, this might be my favorite song on the album. Wow. I think it's a tie, but probably just for the bridge. I think the bridge on this song is one of the best bridges of any song, but definitely takes the cake for this album. The bridge is insanely good. You're right. Actually, Mike, you know how you were always saying you're, you have a tattoo line in these songs? That's right. For me, it's the drum fill in the bridge. I want that tattooed on my body. You want the drum fill? in ink on your body <laughs> yeah i like that it's incredible the way it comes in the it's really good and you're a drummer so you can appreciate good drumming yeah i have a cultured eye for these things ear for these things that's right I noted the bridge on this song being fantastic as well. And oddly enough, Charlie, this is not tied. This is also my favorite song. Wow. Look at you guys. Like you mentioned earlier, if this had been a single, I think it would have gotten radio airplay. I think people would have caught on and enjoyed it. There are a ton of songs buried in this album that are not hidden gems, but I was surprised going through. And I know Keenan echoed a similar sentiment when we talked earlier on that. Yeah. Each song, you're like, man, I forgot how good this song was. Like, you remember the singles, more or less. In re-listening, this wasn't always my favorite song. Like, I didn't listen to this album last week saying, I remember Empty Apartment. That's my favorite Yellow Card song. But given a couple listens, it stands out for a number of reasons. I think it's a cool theme. And it also has some good violin. And as a former violinist, I enjoyed the plucking at the end. Have we even mentioned that you played the violin yet? I guess not. It's not something I usually talk about. Half the reason why you used to like this band back in the day, I remember this, is because they had a violinist and you played the violin. Yeah, I thought that was really cool. 
and the Going Bear Warriors still never let me in as an official. Well, you did try out, and um, it was a close vote, Mike, but uh, unanimously we decided not to have you play violin in the band. It was kind of funny because I did play violin from a very early age, and then I stopped playing because in eighth grade, my violin lessons interfered with basketball practice, and I thought between the two, I'm obviously (laughs) destined for a career in basketball. (laughs) I probably should have kept playing the violin, looking back on it, but I begged my parents for an electric violin as soon as I realized that was actually a thing, and I finally got one for Christmas my freshman year of high school, and I don't think I ever touched it. (laughs) I do remember that. I remember we thought it was the coolest thing, but yeah, I think that's... I still have it. I still have it, but... um, That's where your interest started to wane? Yeah, I wanted to play yellow card songs, but then I realized Sean Mackin was actually an incredible violinist. It would pretty much be like me picking up a guitar and playing ocean avenue but it's like oh i played the violin before but like no you idiot you play you read music and played like one page songs you didn't compose and play your own music so we were on different levels of our career there i think the violin solo in this song in particular is the best violin part in in the whole album Even compared to the intro and breathing? That's pretty epic, but this is like this is like a showcase of beautiful violin playing. It's almost like classical sounding. Yeah. I guess because it is a solo, so it's not intermingled with um, guitar and drums, but... It is one of the sadder sounding songs on the album. I personally thought back in the day when I would listen to it that it was about a relationship and I would associate it with a girlfriend of his, an ex of his... I did find out after doing some research that it's potentially about an ex-band member, somebody who left the band. Ryan Key and the other band members may have felt kind of betrayed by that, and this was his response to that person. Trying to get this person to leave the empty apartment was trying to get them to come around to the way that you're feeling. And then at the very end of the song, Ryan Key admits that even though he feels betrayed by this person, this person left him, he says... Maybe someday I'll see you again and you'll look me in my eyes and call me your friend. So he's holding out that this person will come around and they'll be able to reestablish their relationship. So I don't know. That's kind of a sad thing. It's like, what do you do when you're betrayed by a friend? Do you give up on them and move on? Or do you say, I'll be here if, if you need me? Damn. It's a tough thing to do. Yeah. It feels like really, you know, mature kind of in keeping with their very serious like themes of these songs. It does. I also had the same impression that. I kind of just assumed this was about like a breakup or a relationship, mm-hmm. but I always thought it was odd that the song never really gave like a romantic impression. So then finding out that it was about, you know, a friend, you know, a band member who had left and then you re-listen and you're like, wow, they must have been very close. Like this must have been a serious slight for this person to have left the band. Yeah. I don't know. It's They're using love and like these very strong emotions in the song. Right. I do have to fact check this, but I'm pretty sure their bassist left while recording this album and they had to replace him with another bassist. So I'm going to go on record and say that this could potentially be about the bassist. You want to know what's 
funny about that story. So I read this too. So the bassist left while they were doing this album, and then they hired a new bassist. The album came out, huge success. The original bassist like came back and apologized. Really? Yeah, and they were like, well, you know, since you you know, wrote most of these songs with us. They just fired the, the new bassist and put the guy back in. Oh, man. Are you serious? Yeah. Wait a minute. According to Wikipedia, but... That's incredible. So this song is definitely about him then. Has to be. It's got to be, right? Yeah, has to be. Okay. Wow, I didn't know that. What a cool little tidbit. Yeah. Sucks for that other guy, though. That poor guy. Also, like, oh, this band is failing. We've had three bad albums. And then like, oh, oh wait. I could have been rich if I stayed in this band. Let me come back. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so shallow. I just did a quick fact check. Charlie, before you hopped on, I ran through the members of the band during this time period, and there was no basis, which I never really put together until just now. So Yeah, there you go. That makes sense. I'm glad you guys went into the actual meaning behind the song before I gave my take, so I, thank you for that. <laughs> I always thought empty apartment friendship trying to get your buddy out of the apartment after like maybe a bad breakup or something mm. like take you away from this empty apartment she's gone you're alone uh you're alone with your thoughts probably making some destructive decisions let's go out in the town and just be boys and have fun so it's a bro just being a bro yeah which is essentially the underlying theme of the song one way or another yeah just bros yeah track number five life of a salesman little literary reference there. Have you guys read Death of a Salesman? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's my favorite play of all time. Is that true? I mean, I haven't read a ton of plays, but... <laughs> but that's number Actually, one. that and Our Town are tied. Our Town? Yeah, Our Town. I gotta get on my play game. You definitely read Our Town. Thornton Wilder? I don't think so. I think I read Death of a Salesman, though. You probably read all the same plays I did because I only read them because they were assigned reading. Because we were all in all the same classes our entire lives, pretty much? Yes. That's a good point. That doesn't mean Keenan read them. True. I'm sure I didn't most of the time. The prep also put on an incredible production of Death of a Salesman when we were there. Did they play this song during it? Yeah, during an interlude. <laughs> nice, cool. <laughs> What's a dad for, dad? Tell me why I'm here, dad. Whisper in my ear that I'm growing up to be a better man, dad. Everything is fine, dad. Proud that you were mine, dad. Because I know I'm growing I like how this one has a very old school punk rock blast beat in it. We've heard it in a couple Newfound Glory songs. Every now and then a pop punk band will throw one in. It brings you back to the days of the punk scene right before pop punk became popular. It's funny because that actually, when I was a kid, that was the reason why I really didn't like this song. I actually would always skip this song. Oh, really? Because of that beat? Because, yeah, the chorus is so like fast. It's like... And I was not a fan. Probably because my my brothers would make fun of me for being a drummer in a, you know, a band. And they would like come up to me and they would like put their hair down in front of their eyes and just be like... It's very mean. Your brothers are mean. I can confirm that. 
Yeah. But now, you know, I listen to this song and I'm like, honestly, I love this song because it is the only pop punk song in history to be about loving your dad. Exactly. Yeah. Like every pop punk song is like, oh, if you dad, yep. I can be who I want, dad. This exactly. One's like, Thank you, dad, for being a great dad. They break out of that classic pop punk emo mold of not getting along with your family and finally appreciating your parents. I thought that was really cool too. And I, they probably got some heat for that. They probably <laughs> got some backlash for like, oh, sick, you like your dad, loser. <laughs> like that was not accepted. Yeah, we could probably find some good Charlotte interview where they're trashing yellow card. Yeah, It's kind of funny that I found that article because it almost seems like this may have even been a dig at good Charlotte and Simple Plan who clearly had songs about not appreciating their upbringing, their parents. This is maybe a jab at those types of bands. It borders on loving their dad too much. <laughs> you think so? <laughs> yeah. Look, just the line, when I am a dad dad, <laughs> they, they, they end every line with dad. Yeah. I'm going to be a good dad dad. Yeah. They couldn't come up with any other rhyme for dad, apparently. Yeah, just dad. <laughs> I'll never be a bad dad. <laughs> His dad must have been a salesman, right? Is that the only reason that he made this the title? Or is there an actual connection to the play? I don't know if it's like connected. I can't think of any actual connection other than that death of a salesman is literally the story of Willie Loman slowly, his slowly decaying life as he's siphoning gas out of uh, a rubber tube in his basement. And maybe his dad was a salesman, but he lived a really great and prosperous and influential life. So wait, I'm so <laughs> confused about what you just said. I'm saying I don't think there's any direct reference oh, to the okay. play. I thought you were trying to like make a very like tiny thread connection there. No, I'm saying the play was a miserable, sad play about this man with no oh, okay. no will to live whatsoever. And This is very much the opposite. Exactly. I think also Death of a Salesman, it's about the father-son relationship and the son being just incredibly disappointed in his dad and not loving him. So, you know, the title Life of a Salesman... It's the opposite of what you see in Death of a Salesman. I see. Like, I really respect my dad, and I love what he does, and it doesn't matter to me that he's not important to anyone else. Much like life is the opposite of death. Okay, I get it now. Yeah, I had to look up the antonym, but... <laughs> Synonym.com. Dictionary.com. You know what his dad also is? A dad dad? <laughs> a chill bro surfer. Really? Write the chorus, Father, I will always be that same boy that stood by the sea and watched you tower over me. That's right. So his dad's just... Just taking him surfing? Riding humongous waves. <laughs> Towering over the uh, over the ocean. Yeah. Oh, taught me how to stand, Dad. Maybe it's like stand on the board. Yeah. Did you not take it as his dad was surfing? You just took it as his dad was standing next to him on the beach? Yeah, I thought that. I did too, yeah. I literally always thought that his dad was riding a killer wave and... <laughs> he was just standing on the shoreline. That's probably what it is, to be honest, now that I'm reading through it again. He's teaching him how to surf. So he's a rad dad. He's a rad dad. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> I'm going to be a rad dad. <laughs> Maybe I um, misinterpreted that line, because I guess if you're a young boy, your dad does tower over you. But I just assume that Ryan Key's dad has to be a surfer, right? It's the only thing that yeah. makes sense in my mind. Yeah. I'm from Florida. Mike, I kind of agree that this song is maybe a little too much love for your dad. I'm just looking at like whisper in my ear that I'm growing up to be a better man, dad. 
<laughs> that would be kind of weird if your dad whispered that in your ear, right? Oh, Charlie, your dad doesn't do that. <laughs> uh, I don't know what kind of household. Was your dad really strict, Charlie? Oh, yeah. No, I've never heard my dad whisper in my life. <laughs> Everything he says is firm with authority. It's very loud, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be a loud, Dad. <laughs> that song always reminded me of Tito from Rocket Power. Oh, because of the surfing? Do you remember the one Rocket Power episode where Tito's riding this amazing wave and like yeah. they find out his <laughs> yeah. whole history and he's actually this really like deep troubled guy that has So a... is Tito Ryan Key's dad? Yes. Okay, cool. As the ancient Hawaiians said. Yeah. That Tito. <laughs> yeah. As the ancient Hawaiians once whispered in my ear, you're growing up to be a better man. <laughs> dad. Track number six, only one. My favorite song on the album. Really? Although... Pretty mainstream of you, Keenan. I know. That's sort of my big thing is Mike and I are always upset because I always end up picking not the lead single, but usually it's like the second or third single. It's not cool of me, but re-listening to the album, I'm going to be honest. There were actually a couple songs that mostly the B-side songs that I was like, wow, I forgot how good this one was, but I just remember... Only one was one that I was obsessed with, so I think I got to stand by that. It's a very impassioned song, so I could see you know, why you'd gravitate towards it. It's like a ballad, you know? It does play like a ballad. It is very powerful and emotional. I think he's talking about how he ruined a relationship, also possibly through cheating or taking this person for granted, kind of like breathing, right? In a way, he's mature enough to say that she deserves better than him. It's weird, Charlie. Now that you pointed out how mature some of these themes are, I'm now thinking the same exact thing. In the song, he's saying how he wants it to end because she deserves a better person who will treat her better, even though he's in love with her and he's obsessed with her. He just knows this is the right thing to do. That's a pretty wild concept that we don't often see. And maybe that's also why it stood out. I think it also stood out because of the music video. Do you remember the music video for this song? This is my second favorite song, Keenan, so don't feel too bad about it being your favorite. Thanks, buddy. The music video for this was very strange. And it was obviously made during a time the U.S. was in multiple conflicts overseas. And... It's the band members at a protest. What they're protesting isn't exactly clear. I know that he's falling in love with this girl or there's some sort of romantic component of 
this protest, if I remember correctly. Right. Him and this girl, at the end of the video, they are standing in front of a tank. Are they comparing themselves to that guy in... Uh... Tiananmen Square? Yeah. <laughs> I think that's what he's saying. He's basically that guy in Tiananmen Square. That's how... That's how steadfast their love is. Doesn't really seem to be related to the lyrics at all. No. No, it's not. It it's definitely weird. is not. It reminds me of that Pepsi commercial that got a ton of backlash, I think, with one of the Jenner sisters, where it's like, let's just give this cop a Pepsi and we'll all chill. The police in this video are just kind of standing there with guns, but they're putting flowers in the barrels of the guns. So it's like, it's very weird. And you're right. It had nothing to do with the song. If you guys think the music video is cringy, I found the cover for like the album of the actual single itself. Oh, yeah. I just texted it to you guys. It's one of the cringiest band pictures I've ever seen. Oh, boy. What? This is like how I dress today. <laughs> yeah. Short sleeve button down and jeans. Like, why are three of them behind a fence? And one of them <laughs> oh, is like no. pressing his cheek up against the fence. Yeah, what? You know that at the time they were like, oh, this is edgy, dude. Yeah, like somehow the guy on the left is dressed like, <laughs> I, I don't know, he's about to rob a bank. And then Ryan Key is dressed like he's, you know, an accountant on Casual Friday or something. It looks like he's about to go compete in like the the mathlete competition. Yes. That's awesome. He looks like old Ryan Key in way way before he got new Ryan Key's wardrobe. <laughs> I love it. No complaints from me. So here's the moment that everybody's been waiting for. This is the song on the album that has a doppelganger out there in the pop punk world. Only one does? Oh my god. What? <laughs> oh, are you making a joke? No, I, I'm confused what you're oh, saying. Yeah, only one does. <laughs> oh, I thought you were like introducing the next song. No, 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 you're, no. You're like no, the was... moment everyone's been waiting for. Oh, no, I've been no. talking about this song for 10 minutes. No, this is like the... Everybody loves when Keenan does his comparisons. I think it's the moment Keenan's been waiting for. <laughs> yeah, I have been waiting now for let this, us yeah. in on. <laughs> yeah. Mike, are you good? No, wait a second. What? What are you doing? Is he about to get murdered or something? <laughs> Could you imagine? Where's he going? Is he limping? Yo, straight up though, if he gets murdered, this video would definitely go viral. Oh yeah, you guys would. I could replace him. I could be the co-host. Dude, it'd be huge for our brand. What is he doing? Okay. He does this like once every recording where he's like, he'll literally just stop and be like, Oh, dude, like, hold on. And he won't say what he's doing, and he'll just walk away, and I'll be like, what are you doing? Does he have a flashlight? Yeah. <laughs> About to do my big reveal. Oh, my God. Let's see what's going on here. Sorry. What was that? Nothing, dude. I honestly feel like I'm going crazy. Well, what did you think it was? It sounds like something's, like, on the stairs, but there's nothing there. Are you okay? Yeah. No, because it's just weird, because, like... It's a rainy, windy night in like a 70-year-old house, but I don't know. Oh, dude, look out behind you. Stop. That's not funny. <laughs> You're so scared. Didn't Abby say there are ghosts in the house? Um, I don't know. If they are, then they're probably all related to me because nobody outside my family's lived here since the late 70s. So, Are you good? Oh, sorry. Did you make your stupid joke about the, the song that sounds like another song? No, I was clearly distracted. You mean you couldn't just keep going with me, like, creeping around like a weirdo? <laughs> okay. Do you guys know the song With Me by Sum 41? Yes. From the 
Underclass Hero album? Mm-hmm. Okay. I hate to call it Sum 41 for this. That song came out in 2007, but it's hard to not call it a ripoff because it is extremely similar to this song. The chorus is almost identical to it, but you know, I'll let the pop punk posse decide. I know they're always on my side here, so. I just gave it a quick a quick little listen, skipping ahead to the chorus. The chorus is exactly the same. It's literally exactly the same, is it not? Totally ripoff, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it's okay. I'm sure it was unintentional, but this song came out before the Sum 41 version, but it is what it is. So I guess only one is not really a good name for it anymore. <laughs> yeah, there's two of them out there. Yeah. Track number seven, Miles Apart. Miles apart. I said that weird. <laughs> as soon as I came out of my mouth, I knew it was going to be bad. Personally, I think this might be the most underrated song of the album. This song is a lot better than I remembered it. It's funny you say that because I was going to say... Oh, no. What? No, go ahead. Are you going to say it's your least favorite song in the album? No, it's funny you say that because what I was going to say is that this is the most pop-punky song on the album. Oh, really? And so it's funny you say it's underrated because it fits you know, your taste in music. It does, exactly, yeah. I think it is. I think you're right. The intro has such a pop punk sound. Totally. The intro of this song, I'm not going to do another doppelganger, I promise, but <laughs> did you guys ever play the Flash game called the Punkomatic? Oh, yeah. And you, it was like GarageBand, right? Like you could put together loops. Yeah. You played that? Yeah. Totally. Okay. I wrote that down, assuming that neither of you would have ever heard of that. But. That's great that you know it. Like, it's this really, like, basic Flash game that's, you have three musicians, and mm-hmm. one's the guitarist, one's the bassist, one's the drummer, and each one of them has, like, maybe ten different tracks that are all kind of the same length. And you just mix and match them, and you make, like, a punk song. That's cool. There was one riff in the Punkomatic that was literally the intro of this song. And I remember thinking that at the time, like, okay, either the Punkomatic stole it from Yellow Card or Yellow Card stole it from the Punkomatic, which would be pretty low. But I always hear it. I played that game religiously back in the day. I would always play it in Tubes' basement. And 
like I can't get it out of my mind when I hear the intro of the song. It's so weird. Who did you recently say was using Fruity Loops, Keenan? I said Tyson Ritter was in his basement using Fruity Loops. Yeah, like I think that was just you. <laughs> no, I used to use Fruity Loops. Yeah, everybody did, Mike. It was the best. I know, but I don't think Tyson Ritter of the All-American Rejects did. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe he did. Possibly. Just like Ryan Key was using the pungo matic <laughs> If that game's still online, I'll probably go check it out. You should. It's great. We should try to share it somewhere. I might try to recreate this song, actually, in it tonight. That's my goal. Oh, gosh. So, Charlie, you said this is the most pop-punk-sounding song. What types of themes were you getting from it? Was it also pop-punk themes, or was it just the way that it sounded? I think really just the way it sounds. Um, this one, I kind of mentioned earlier that it ties in a little bit with Way Away for me. It's kind of about getting away, and I wrote down this one verse. Now we've all grown up, gone on and moved away. Nothing I can do about it, nothing I can say to bring us back to where we were when life was not this hard. Looking back, it all just seems so far away. Yeah. That, I feel like is the thing that I could listen to you know, now. And again, this is one of those songs that I probably would have skipped when I was a kid. But I listen to it now, and I, I can really relate. And um, I also appreciate it musically a lot more now. Like I think this song also has a really good bridge. The violin melody in the chorus, like behind the vocals, is, is really it's awesome. so good. Yeah. And it is one of those more powerful themes. I think it ends, correct me if I'm wrong, but doesn't it end, I give it up for just one more day with you. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of with the bridge is like, I just love that, that line. It's this long distance relationship. And I think he's realizing that it's hard and that he wants to be with this person. He would literally do anything if he could just be with this person again. So you're right. Very similar themes to Way Away. And it probably takes you back, Charlie, to that time when you moved out to the West Coast for the first time and you weren't living near your girlfriend and you realized that this isn't going to be easy. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Are you still long distance? No, my wife's in the other room trying to be really quiet right now. I mean, that's probably the longest distance that you've been all day, but yeah. Yeah. I was going to say that would be a long period of long distance if you've been out there for four years. No, I mean, we did do long distance for a good three years but oh wow so not that far off it was like dc new york and then it was seattle new york man you guys were miles apart huh we were mi- we were about three thousand miles apart ah uh, all right vanessa carlton <laughs> isn't that a vanessa carlton song <laughs> <laughs> a thousand miles a yeah. thousand miles yeah uh, close enough <laughs> it's funny charlie already mentioned the second verse because the first verse it contains my favorite lines on the album, my tattoo <gasps> lines, Keenan. The tattoo lines? Oh. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Hold on. Let me get out the Mike Moynihan diagram. That's just a picture of you naked. <laughs> That's just your phone background. <laughs> it is my phone background. <laughs> it's also hanging up in my bedroom, but go on. I say this every week. I don't know what uh, property is still available. Why don't you just say it and I'll confirm or deny? Okay. Let's hear it first, and then let's figure out where it's going to go. It's, if I could, I would do all of this again, travel back in time with you to where this all began. We could hide inside ourselves and leave the world behind and make believe there's something left to find. It's a big one. Where do you think you want it? I think this might be a good face tattoo. (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking, like, maybe a kneecap. Oh, that would hurt. That would hurt a lot. Luckily, I'm not getting it. It's too long to put on your kneecap. Yeah, how big are your knees? You're going to cry. It's just a very small font. It had to be a very good artist. (laughs) Um, All right, fine. I feel like the face is a big spot. Yeah, no, I feel like you need to be real passionate about it to commit to that. I also think I already have one across my neck. Neck? I I think I would remember neck. I think neck's still available. You want it there? 
Now I'll do it on my right thigh. Okay, right thigh is in. Fair game. Cool. Lock it in. I always kind of heard this song as um, more friends than a relationship, I guess. For whatever reason, this always reminds me of the, of the end of grade school, probably because this album was one of my favorites at that time. Oh. Yeah. I remember that. The lyrics don't necessarily relate to that, but that's what it reminds me of. Oh, you mean when we were at St. Joe's Prep and our friends were miles apart at LaSalle? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll never see you guys again. My favorite line that I just went over, I thought that would be a great eighth grade yearbook quote. Yeah, that would be a good one. Do you remember we had one quote that we could put in as eighth graders in our grade school yearbook, and I really stressed over what I was going to use all year. Which one did you end up putting? I ended up using a Relying K quote. Which one? I sit and think about all my friends and how good they are, but when today is yesterday, I know that things won't stay the same, but I know that memories won't go too far. Hmm. Pretty good. Kind of depressing. (laughs) I mean, I was 14 and I thought it was pretty deep. But it was very relevant for the situation, I suppose. I know what yours is, too, if you're curious. Sure, go for it. Do you remember? No. Uh, yes. Is it a Yogi Berra one? It is. If there's a fork in the road, take it? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great one. It is a good one. Thanks. Maybe not as good as Relying K, but... Looking at these lyrics, I could also see it being about your parents. Like, leaving home and yeah. saying, like, I'll keep you deep inside my heart. You know, I'm starting a new life. I wish I could travel back in time with you to where this all began, you know, like your childhood and kind of back when you were so connected. Well, that's probably what's so cool about the song is it is kind of a choose your own meeting. It depends on when you listen to it. When you were listening to it in middle school, you're thinking about your friends. When you're listening to it at the end of high school, you're thinking about your parents or a relationship. Now in life, you're probably thinking about a longer term relationship. It's just relevant no matter what age you are. There's always something you can relate to. I'd have a hard time saying to any of my friends, I'd give it all up just for one more day with you. (laughs) I'd I'd be like, well, no, I mean, whatever. We'll talk on the phone. You're not that great. Yeah. But I could see, you know, saying that about someone you really, really love. Charlie, I often think that about you. Oh, okay. Well, go ahead. Give it all up. Move to Seattle. (laughs) It's upsetting that it's unrequited, but okay. All good. (laughs) Track number eight, 23. This is like the ultimate pop-punk number in pop-punk age 23. It is. So blink of them. So blink of them. Wow. What I will say is the intro of this song was very reminiscent of the intro of a newfound glory song that we discussed several weeks back, something I call personality. Maybe it's because this sounds like Yellow Card's mosh pit song. The intro comes in heavy, has another one of those blast drum beats. I could just picture this being a high energy concert song. That's what stood out to me. That's what I kind of liked about it. Yeah, I know I said the last song was the most pop punky on the album, but I take it back. I think this one. (laughs) It's definitely change your mind. I think I confuse these two a lot. I will also say that I love this album. I love every song, but this is probably the lowest one for me. Really? Yeah. There's just nothing that interesting to me. Like I can't really relate to this one all that much. And it's not musically kind of my taste. It also doesn't have Ryan Key singing. He doesn't sing lead in this. I was going to say that. The violinist 
Sean does. Yeah, I, I noticed that. I was wondering if that was just like a weird recording thing or if that was actually the case. No, it's the violinist who typically sings backup, but... Wait, I was just going to point out, it's really interesting how the verses refer to like the character of the song in the third person, and then the chorus is in first person. It's from two different perspectives. Yeah, that never occurred to me that, okay, it's intentionally a different voice. Does that kind of blow your mind? Yeah, I appreciate that song way more now, actually. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said there's not any real cool themes to it and you, it's hard to relate to, I actually was thinking, oh, Charlie probably didn't get this one. Oh, he probably just didn't get it, dude. <laughs> I didn't get it. Honestly, I did not get it. It just clicked for me. So can I say what I think it means and why they have two different singers? I think we're probably all on the same page, so go for it. Okay. Now we are, but I'm in the yeah. same boat as Charlie. I didn't realize it was Sean singing lead. I was always wondering, why does Ryan sound a little bit different? It's like, it's not Ryan. Was he just sick that day? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So what I got out of it, the reason why they used two different singers was the character that's mainly in focus on the song just broke up with a girl. And... Sean, who sings lead in the song, is singing about his friend. He's from the perspective of the best friend who's now viewing his friend at his lowest moment. Got out of this relationship with a girl who probably wasn't right for him. He's essentially trying to be supportive, and he's trying to convince him, don't get back with this girl. It's not worth it. Learn your lesson. I'm here for you. She's not. At one point, it's Ryan saying, oh, I think this girl wants to get back with me. So there is this back and forth, and when I listened to it again, I thought, oh, wow, that is really cool, actually. Yeah, it's a really cool concept that I, off the top of my head, I can't really think of another example similar to this with two different perspectives. I'm sure songs similar to this exist, but yeah, it's your buddy going through a rough patch. You're trying to help him out, and he can't get his mind off of the girl that, from your perspective, was never right for him, was only trouble from the start, and you could never really tell him honestly how you felt about her because you could see how much he cared about her but now that she's gone it's like great please stay gone because you were just doing damage to my friend it's kind of like empty apartments it it reveals to me that like these guys are really in touch with their emotions you know they have very close friendships for two guys that are in a band together you know that you'd expect yeah for sure and they have very close dad ships too as we learned earlier yeah th this whole album is like there's more male love yeah, and a lot of female love you know a lot of male bonding <laughs> yeah yeah it's a very like bromantic album bro love i can appreciate that yeah it's probably why we like it so much <laughs> track number nine view from heaven this one musically was definitely a departure from the album this one came in almost like a bluegrass or country song did you guys pick up on that too yeah totally
Yeah, I said the violin sounds more like a fiddle. That's right. It does sound like a fiddle. And the drum beat just had this bluegrass flavor to it. It was so different. Might hear this one down at the honky tonk. That's right, the honky tonk. <laughs> at the five and dime. No, wait. Yeah, that's the thing they talk about, right? Sure. <laughs> What's the other thing that they, Square like, where they do the line dancing? Oh, that is the honky tonk, isn't it? Yeah, whatever. All right, I'll just go fuck myself. Um... <laughs> Charlie, go ahead. You were going to say something probably pretty interesting. More interesting than that, for sure. <laughs> uh, no, this song is like also really sad. It's very sad. It's just all about, I mean, as the name would suggest, just all about you know the death of a friend. I think Ryan Key actually wrote it about a friend who died in 2001. Mm-hmm. I mean, the chorus on this one, I think, is the best chorus lyrically on the album. And I'm sure the view from heaven beats the hell out of mine here. And if we all believe in heaven, maybe we'll make it through one more year down here. Crazy. Something about it. It's like, it's really basic, but it like just conveys such a, it's just really simple words to convey this really deep longing that, you know, most of us can relate to. That chorus right there, I thought was probably the most emotional piece to this album. And as we have already discovered, they try to explore their emotions a lot. This one probably moved me the most. There was one line that I had to read a couple times because I thought it was maybe almost too much. Ryan Key says, I only need one more day, just one more chance to say, I wish that I had gone up with you too. So, I mean, I get the emotion he's trying to convey, but he wishes he was also dead. I mean, that's what it means, right? Yeah. I mean, that's kind of what the whole song is about. He's saying like, I'm sure your view is better than mine. You know, everything down here sucks. and Like it should have been me. Yeah, like you're almost you know better off having died and not had to experience this. It's crazy. It's funny you point out that lyric because I actually wrote down the exact same one as saying like, just one example that this song is so upbeat and like sounds so happy, but the lyrics are so sad and, and depressing. There's also a female singer on this one. I had to look it up. Her name is Alieke Wingevelt. It's a very uh, like Icelandic or Nordic sounding name. Isn't she the sister of the bassist? I was doing some digging, and I think when their original bassist left, she introduced them to the new bassist. I actually think her brother is the one they kicked out of the band. Oh, no. I'm pretty sure. Now that you told me that story, now that I know that, I think he was the one that was kicked to the curb. So his sister made it on the album, not him. Yeah, and, <laughs> and I guess her brother didn't. But that's cool. They add this different voice. I kind of like when predominantly male pop punk bands bring in a female singer because it adds just this different sound and this different element to it. I like that too. 
the line that always stuck out to me was just, or maybe not the line, but the emotion of not having closure or not having the chance to say goodbye to somebody. Yeah. It's really tough when it comes to people that pass away. And it unfortunately reminded me of the current situation with COVID, how so many people are finding themselves alone in their final moments and family members are separated from them. And that's true. That just adds a whole nother tier of how sad all of this is, is that's part of the comforting end of somebody's life is being able to talk to them one last time or, you know, reassure them that you love them and whatnot. Not having that makes uh, losing somebody even more difficult. On that sad note, track number 10, Inside Out. Is this about putting on your t-shirt the wrong way, Mike? I said it was about the Disney Pixar film with the same name. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's a good reference. I don't think either of those are the correct answer. Is that why you're wearing your Toy Story shirt tonight? Uh, No, that's just because my son has similar interests to me and he's obsessed with <laughs> Toy Story 2 at the moment. So he likes looking at this shirt. Oh, cool. Yeah. This was another one of the B-side songs that I thought was amazing. Like, I forgot how good this song was until I re-listened to it. It was incredible. So catchy. It's so catchy. This is the one that's tied with Empty Apartment as my favorite song. Oh, is it really? Yeah. And I think over time I give this one the edge. It's a really good one. That's huge. I think it's also like it's the cleanest song musically. It's just like perfectly put together. Like there's not a single note or, you know, extra word or extra anything. Like the structure is perfect. It's the exact right length. The intro leads perfectly into the verse. You know, the chorus leads perfectly into the bridge. Like, it all just fits together so seamlessly. I think it's kind of like a, it's not like a great song that everyone needs to listen to, but it's just like a perfectly written song. I agree. I agree too. I think I actually wrote down that Ryan mastered the art of the catchy pop punk chorus with this song. Isn't this also the song that goes, Is that this one? Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Like, just that is so good. All the harmonies and everything, like, and the guitar riff. This is one where I actually think that the chorus is not even the catchiest part. The part uh, at the end of the second verse where he's saying, because I feel like I'm inside out, you got me upside down. Maybe I was holding on too tight. The harmonies in that, maybe, yeah. yeah. So good, right? It is really good. I also found this song interesting because lyrically, it's a little bit of a departure. This is Ryan telling the girl that he's over her, he's done with her. 
I think up until this point, it's mostly been him messing things up and wanting somebody back, right? Yeah. But in this one, he says, don't you say goodbye to me. Just turn your back away and leave. And if you're lucky, I'll be your last regret, your only friend. He's anticipating her crawling back. Is that, am I reading that right? I got something a little different. I kind of got that it was more like she has hurt him or she has more like fallen out of love with him, but he still loves her and he's like bitter about her leaving. He's trying to convince himself that he's angry about this, like trying to say like, fine, go. So you're telling me it is the same as the other ones? (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe. I don't know. I mean, I was rooting for him in this one. This is going to be fun. Can I complicate it just a little bit more, guys? Yeah, please. Can I give you my third interpretation here? It's kind of similar to Charlie's, I think. It might morph all of yours a little bit, but the way that I heard this song, maybe we're all just hearing something that happened in our lives, but (laughs) I heard this song as he was dumped by this girl, he was hurt by this girl, and in his mind, he has no idea what went wrong. She decided that the relationship was over and he can't figure out what the main reason was. He feels blindsided. He thought in his mind things were perfect and all of a sudden it just unravels and he can't get any sort of answer as to why. I think I heard that just because there was one relationship in my life where it literally ended that way where things were seemingly good and this person did not want to continue on anymore and just totally blindsided. So maybe that's why I saw it but that was the theme that I got. It is funny. I think we all picked three different lines and we're like, well, of course it means this. Yeah. <laughs> we all just focused on one specific thing that was different from each other. Yeah. That's okay. Let's just agree that Charlie's is wrong and ours is right, Mike. <laughs> well, no, what's funny is what I think is common among all three of them is this sense of like a mismatch of feeling and a misunderstanding almost. There's a disconnect for sure. Yeah. Playing off that misunderstanding, I do have a misheard lyric in this one. Hey, throw it in there, man. Not as many on this album. I guess Ryan is pretty good at enunciating his words, or I was just not stupid when I was listening to this album. We all were. This is one where I I didn't mishear it. I knew the words I thought were wrong. I just never, I just always sang it that way in my head, if that makes sense. The line that says, the two of us take breath like one. I misheard the two of us take bread like one. And I related it back to like the Eucharist. The body of Christ. (laughs) Like this religious couple who are just receiving the Eucharist at church together. That's just your Catholic guilt catching up to you. (laughs) That would be so wholesome. Yeah. Yeah. I always heard that. And I'm like, of course it's not bread, but I still always sang bread, even though I know it's not bread. It's making me hungry. (laughs) <laughs> things like a uh, wonder bread or is it the eucharist yeah. <laughs> uh what kind of sandwich do you want <laughs> oh the two of us will take bread like one <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just bread we're cutting out our carbs we'll, you uh... can put it in one bag yeah <laughs> that's the true fourth interpretation of the song yeah it is <laughs> track number 11 believe Okay. 
this is, in my opinion, the most powerful song on this album for obvious reasons. So this song was written as a tribute song to the first responders from 9-11. It's told from the perspective of somebody that was actually saved by a firefighter who re-entered the World Trade Center and saved them and lost his own life in doing so. Really heavy topic, but they managed to write, in my opinion, a very uplifting song. I don't know that any other band could have done this like with tact. You know, at no point does this feel corny or overdone or pandering or anything. It feels like very respectful and it's very genuine. Yeah, very it, genuine. it does come across as very genuine. We're 19 years past 9/11 and listening to this song still invokes very real feelings in me about that day and in particular the verse where Ryan sings, want to hold my wife when I get home, want to tell my kids they'll never know how much I love to see them smile. I want to make a change right here, right now. Want to live a life like you somehow to make your sacrifice worthwhile. That still like chokes me up. If I'm listening to it, depending on the day, really listening to it, not just as background noise. And those lines hit, I'm like, yeah, it's still very, uh, very powerful and meaningful to me, especially now with a kid. It's like, damn. I'm glad you said it first because this song has definitely made me cry at least one time really wow when i was younger yeah listening to it and kind of like you know in the wake of a couple years after and yeah sure really like getting into the album and really listening to the lyrics and one time this song just kind of like hit me and i was just like wow what a horrible horrible thing that happened the part that even now probably chokes me up a little bit is climbing higher through the fire time was running out never knowing you weren't going to be coming down alive but you still came back for me that part always like hits me really hard when I listen to this. It's crazy, yeah. You say never forget or always remember, but it's natural to kind of suppress the emotions and the fear that everybody had that day just in order to continue living a somewhat normal life. It is nice to have reminders like this that aren't necessarily re-watching footage from that day or listening to gut-wrenching interviews with loved ones or things like that, but still just a really nice tribute that contains the same feeling and emotion, but delivered in a little bit of a lighter manner. It did invoke those feelings of duty, that these people had that duty on that day to essentially be heroes. They knew that their fate was pretty much sealed when they went in the building, but it was their job to do it. Like that theme always just brings back those powerful memories of watching it on TV and all that crazy stuff. But you think about those people who literally just ran into a burning building to save as many people as they possibly could. Yeah, it's just one of those wild things to think about. Apparently they mailed a bunch of copies of this album to a a couple hundred or, I don't know, they mailed a lot to fire departments around New York uh, when the album came out. And I think Ryan Key said something like, well, you know, these guys probably wouldn't otherwise hear about Yellow Card and wouldn't really know kind of our music. And so we we wanted to be able to share our tribute with them and he said that apparently still to this day firemen will tell him like that song our whole company we love that song and like it means so much to them he even said in an ama this was in 2014 so you know more than 10 years after the song came out someone asked what's the song you guys have that has the most meaning to you and he said believe that was that was the one song that's incredible yeah so it meant as much to Yellow Card and as much to the first responders as it means to all of us. Yeah, mission accomplished with this, with this song. 
Probably probably an inappropriate <laughs> phrase to use. <laughs> I don't know if you should say that. <laughs> Before we move on, uh, it seems like we're on the same page that this is a pretty powerful song. I think another factor that makes this song so powerful is the sound clips that are spliced in in between the music. And there are two separate ones. It's kind of hard to make out. You can hear certain lines, but I never actually took the time to look up what they were. I always assumed it was George W. Bush speaking, but neither of them were him. In the background at one part, it's an excerpt from a speech by Mayor Michael Bloomberg, mayor of New York City, a year later. So Mayor Bloomberg's speech is, again, today we take into our hearts and minds those who perished on this site one year ago and also those who came to toil in the rubble to bring order out of chaos and help us make sense of our despair. And the second one that's heard is actually New York Governor George Pataki, who is quoting the Gettysburg Address, and he says, the world will little note nor long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. I never knew that was from the Gettysburg Address. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I didn't either. Wow. Is that where we get Never Forget from? Yeah. That's an interesting observation. Yeah, could be. The only thing that makes me think maybe it it was its own thing before that, and maybe that's why Pataki was inspired from that phrase, because these speeches were delivered a year after. And I feel like Never Forget was instantaneous after it happened. You know what's ironic about that line from the Gettysburg Address is that we only remember the things they said there in that one particular four-minute speech. No, That's right, most yeah. of us don't really know what happened <laughs> yeah. at Gettysburg. That's true. Track number 12, One Year, Six Months. I can tell that you don't know me anymore. It's easy to forget. Sometimes we just forget. Being on this road is anything but sure. Maybe we'll forget. I thought this was a cool change of pace for most of the album. This is largely an acoustic song. So as we heard, a lot of the classic pop punk sounds earlier, the electric guitars, bass, drum, throwing the violin. But this one, he decided to slow it down and do something acoustic. Leading into the end of the album, it was a nice change of pace. It was nice to finally hear something different. Yeah, this album definitely slows down at the end going from believe into the next two it's like for as much energy this album has they kind of do a nice three song slowdown at the end i love the acoustic guitar in this one i think it's great why don't you marry it i would if i wasn't already married it's a very specific time too right one year six months what happened that made ryan key sit down and be like let me write this song today 
Charles, thoughts? The lyrics to me kind of suggest it's about a relationship that lasted a year or six months. I didn't find this one to be like the deepest song on the album, but it's kind of a neat theme. Also, it's it's funny because this is like the acoustic song on the album, but I don't like this version all that much. I like the version on the acoustic Ocean <laughs> Avenue album much better. The remake? They do it with the piano. Yeah. Ooh. I think that's actually one of my favorite songs of, you know, if you combine this version and the acoustic version, this one on the acoustic album is one of my favorite songs. I'm happy you brought that up because that acoustic album is really good. Incredible. We've listened to it together. I think it's as good as the original. Yeah, it's amazing. That was for the 10th anniversary, right? They did a completely re-recorded acoustic version of this album. That's right. Yeah. I got to check that out. So I think Charlie's right in that it is about a relationship. And what I thought was unique and different is... He's thinking about this relationship fondly. He's thinking about an ex fondly. So whereas in past breakup type songs that we've heard from other bands where they hate their ex and they're talking about how terrible they are and how bad the situation is, this one he's actually trying to remember or he is remembering the good memories associated with this person. There was a song in the All American Rejects album, Mike, where it was something very similar. It was like a more mature, rational response to the breakup right. than other pop punk or emo bands. So I always like that. It's like, yeah, okay, things ended poorly and you guys went your separate ways, but it's important to remember the moments and the memories that you shared. You still have this very powerful energy between each other. This is going to sound silly, but it reminds me at the end of Anchorman with Will Ferrell and Vince Vaughn when it's like, Ron Burgundy, I hate you, but God damn it, do I respect you. <laughs> yeah. You may no longer love this person, but you still have the ultimate respect for them and you still cherish your relationship, whatever it was and whatever it may be. Wow. What a specific but oddly close reference. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I said it was going to sound weird, but. No, it's good. That was good. I like that. Also, Mike, I like that you wrote this in your notes that I just noticed. From the line, close up these eyes, try not to cry. What a baby. <laughs> it's true. Okay. Maybe a little harsh, Mike. <laughs> oh, also, there was an XXX rated moment in this song. What? Which one? So many nights, legs tangled tight. Mm, that is a little risque. I think he needed to finally let us know, hey, this one's not about a male friend. <laughs> <laughs> hey, could be though, Charlie. Nothing wrong with that. It's true. But this one, to me, was the least ambiguous relationship song. That's true. It was very clear, yeah. I think you're right. Track number 13, Back Home, the conclusion of this masterpiece of an album.
I think this song has one of the catchiest choruses. And like I catch myself singing this one all the time, especially this past winter. I was actually in California for a couple months. Every day I was just thinking, another sunny day in California. I love that he says California. Dude, it makes it so catchy. It's like it um, does. It's like when Jim Carrey says B.E.A. beautiful. Yeah, it's like so memorable, you know, you know that Ryan Key was writing this song and thought of that. It was like California. Yeah, that's going to. Yeah. That's really good. He nailed good. it. He nailed it. This is another one, too, where I think the version on the acoustic album is a lot better. Really? Okay. Yeah, I feel like it just has kind of a lot, like, some more heart to it, and the emotion of the song doesn't seem to really fit kind of the metal. Um, it's not metal. You mean, like, a, the electric? It's very rocky, yeah, on the, it is, on the regular yeah. album. So speaking of that emotion, Charlie, what I got out of this is you're living away from home and you're feeling homesick. And you finally realize that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. The more I thought about it, the more I realized that this is the perfect book ending to Way Away. In Way Away, he was sick of home. He wanted to chase his dreams. He wanted to break out. He wanted to spread his wings and fly away and be in LA and pursue his rock star dream and lifestyle. And I think by the end of this album, again, maybe it's very reflective of what he was feeling at the time, but he's realizing that he doesn't love Hollywood as much as he thought he would. In fact, he even says it pretty explicitly in the song. And he does miss Jacksonville, and he misses his friends and his family, and he does want to get back there. I also thought it was a pretty obvious jab at the classic Los Angeles or Hollywood way of life. Another sunny day beneath this cloudless sky. Sometimes I wish that it would rain here. Why would you want it to rain, right? And wash away the West Coast dreaming from my eyes. There's nothing real for them to see here. Whoa. There's another line, too. Everybody here is living life in fear of falling out of line, tearing lives apart, and breaking lots of hearts just to pass the time. Yeah. He's just calling them out. I agree that it's the perfect bookend, especially because on its face, you think this is an album about California. It's called Ocean Avenue. The picture is at the beach. The chorus of this song is California, and but you realize that it really is actually about, like you said, it's about missing home, yeah. and home is Florida for them. This song is saying, California sucks. I don't want to be here yeah. anymore. <laughs> this is almost like the punchline of the album. Yeah, and, and when I was a kid, I just thought, oh, this is an album about California. These guys are Southern Californians, you know? Mm -hmm. And now I realize, especially having had that experience east to west coast, and you kind of have those moments of homesickness and hating where you are, and... I just understand this album a lot better now. Yeah. I asked Keenan before we started recording, are these guys from California? And he's like, no, they're from Jacksonville. I'm like, okay, yeah. I guess they have waves there too. Yeah. I literally didn't know that until researching for this episode. Yeah. That they were from Florida. Not only because they seem like a classic California band and they're always talking about surfing and being at the beach, but I mean, this album just feels like a very summer album to me. It came out in July. I feel like I would always listen to this in the summer, and because of that, I associated it with West Coast beaches. So right. it all just kind of made sense at the time, and you're right. I really didn't put the pieces together until re-listening to it recently. Maybe if Ryan Key didn't have the bleach blonde hair. I know. That adds so much yeah. to it. It's the look. It's definitely a look. It's the Malibu look. <laughs> yeah. He talks about fake and you know people in California being fake. He just fell right in line he did i need to shout out this line which i always thought was so chill 
free to stand beside the ocean in moonlight and light myself a smoke beneath the dark Atlantic sky. So chill. So chill, dude. Just standing beside the ocean in moonlight ripping cigs. That was the line where he's like, I need people to know how cool I am. <laughs> yeah. And I do now, which is great. Uh, in a less joking way, too, that also is like, it has never occurred to me that he says beneath the Atlantic sky. Atlantic, right. Like, I don't know. So it's right there in front of me, and I didn't even take it. Well, because I think back in the day, you would just sing through these songs. You said it yourself, Charlie, this is one of the catchier choruses. You probably just kind of sang through these lines and didn't think anything of it. But that's why we're here, to really dive in and dissect them. Yeah. Now we know. But it's cool because I think what you're realizing, Charlie, which is what Mike and I have realized all along, is pop punk might get a bad rap as like this really cheesy genre that we used to listen to when we were in middle school. But when you actually take the time to listen to these albums and these songs, there is a whole lot more to them. All you have to do is dedicate hours of your life every week. Yeah. <laughs> and there becomes value. I mean, honestly, listening to your guys' podcast has given me that sense. Like, I never really appreciated the genre that much. But even then, still, there are some albums where Enema of the State, you guys covered in the first episode, and it's a great album. But, like, half of the songs, you guys were like, yeah, this is about a college party. This is about a high school party. Right. I feel like this album, this Yellow Card album, is, like, real all the way through. There's not a single song on here that's, like, filler or not about something that is really meaningful to the band. So it kind of stands out. And maybe that's why it stood out to me, even as a kid. It's like, there's a lot of emotion behind it. There's a lot of meaning that you can feel, even just in the music, without even really learning the lyrics very well. Yeah, I was going to say, maybe that's why you gravitated towards it, as opposed to a Blink-182 or a Good Charlotte. And yeah, maybe you didn't know it at the time, but whatever they did, it, it worked. And it clicked with you. I was just a really serious kid. Clearly, yeah. <laughs> did you have any fun? Did you hate your parents as much as all the other guys did? Or? <laughs> it is funny how sometimes, not in every case, we've done enough of these by now to know that sometimes these albums are best left. You know, they still hold meaning for us because we listen to them at a young age. But if we were to pick them up now, like you were saying, Charlie, they might not hold as much meaning. This one has almost taken on different meanings for me as you grow and mature and develop and it's not just the fun beach music anymore. It's like, oh, I can relate my life back to these stupid songs from 2003. And they're still in they're incredible. I was down the shore recently, like a couple weeks ago, and Ocean Avenue came on at the little amusement park we were at with Jack. And Abby's cousin Patrice, she was at the other end of the park with her nephew, and she just texted me. She's like, dude, great soundtrack in this place. And they were playing all pop punk, yes. including Ocean Avenue. And I was like, this is sweet. It was pretty cool. So shout out to Patrice because we were both like rocking out from separate ends of the playland at Ocean City. <laughs> there are themes in this album and we're discovering themes that I think we can relate to as adults. And as Mike was saying, that's not always the case with pop punk bands. But this one is special in that respect. And I think it does hold a special place in our hearts. Yeah, it may be a symptom, too, of the fact that these guys had been established for a couple of years already. They didn't write some hit album as 17-year-olds and get thrust into into this. Like, they were adults writing songs for adults. Exactly. Have either of you guys ever seen Yellow Card Live? Oh, no, I wish. I actually don't think I have. They're one of the few pop-punk bands that I haven't seen. I haven't either. I was trying to remember random shows 
throughout my lifetime had a number of bands like on the card and i was like have they ever been at a concert but no i've never seen them and they're interesting in the sense that they have at this point called it a career they were a band from 97 until 2017 they did a farewell tour they released a farewell album and ended things on their own terms which i think a lot of these bands sometimes don't know when the time is right to just bask in your past success and spend time with your family yeah but until the end of this band they were selling out shows you know i remember when tickets were on sale for their farewell tour i'm like should i go and for whatever reason i did and i kind of wish i had and kind of hope they do a reunion tour someday it would be awesome to see them live well these days ryan key is now the touring guitarist and backup singer for newfound glory so he's still having fun out there Apparently. I guess I can see him live. You can see him live if you really wanted to. <laughs> Maybe for like episode 372, we'll reunite the gang to go to the reunion tour. Ooh, that would be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. We'll, we'll do a, a callback episode. I support that. Another sunny day beneath this cloudless sky. Sometimes I wish that it would rain here. Wash away the West Coast dreaming from my eyes There's nothing real for them to see here Another starry night in California yeah. I'm sure back home they'd love to see it But they don't know that what you love is ripped away Before I'm so happy we explored that one. It was a real treat to relive it, re-listen to it. And I'm really excited that we're able to have Charlie on the program with us. Please go and check out his podcast, the Paper Boys podcast. They have a humongous back catalog of very interesting episodes covering a multitude of fascinating topics. And they're apparently rebranding and something else is going to be on the horizon for them that we're pretty excited about. But Charlie, thanks again for joining us. It was a real treat. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was this is a real honor. I'm a huge fan of the show, and uh, I've been wanting to do the yellow card one for a while. So We've saved it just for you. I have a thank you for you guys for having me on the show. Oh, boy. This is the big surprise? This is the big surprise, the gift. So I would like to present the Pop Punk Project with its very own star. Star. <laughs> I named a star in your honor. No, you didn't. Are you serious? <laughs> I did. I did. That's awesome. What? I'll send it to you guys right now, the certificate. That's incredible. <laughs> I named it featuring Mark Hoppus. <laughs> That's awesome. Yes. Holy shit. That's so sick. Oh, so we share a star with like a million other people now? Now we have a place to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Finally get the hell out of this place. Mike, you'll appreciate this that there's a giant watermark over like the star map locating it that says the high quality star chart is included in the premium package. <laughs> oh, dude. 
<laughs> it's oh, such man. a scam. What are the coordinates? It has the coordinates and everything. Holy crap. I picked one that uh, is meant to be visible on this date from Philadelphia uh, at the nighttime as opposed to early morning. Holy crap. That's awesome. The star is located in the constellation... Sagitta? Sagitta? The arrow? Yeah. That's badass. I know that this is uh, inappropriate, but how, how much did this incredible <laughs> gift cost you? Well, do you see the watermark? This was free. <laughs> oh, this is free? Yeah, this is free. Oh, okay. Thanks, Charlie. Is this a picture of the galaxy, like the stock image? It's. St- I tried yeah. to put your guys's like logo on it, and it's same thing. Like when I went to print it, it was all pixelated and was like, custom imagery is included in the premium package. Damn, dude. Well, yeah, they got their security down pat. Yeah. That's so sweet. What a gift. Thank you, Charlie. I'm truly honored. I'm saving this. I'm going to frame the certificate. Mike, when should we blast off to go check it out? <laughs> um, I guess as soon as that option becomes available. Yeah. We'll check in with Charlie. We'll check in the uh, check with the pay boys <laughs> to figure out when that's a reality for us. Damn, dude. That's so sick. We have a star. And on next week's episode, for episode 13, we will be discussing My Chemical Romance's album, Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Hooray. Hip, hip. Really? Three times? I don't know. We are online at poppunkproject@gmail.com, Twitter and Instagram at poppunkproject, and patreon.com slash poppunkproject. If you'd like to check in during the week, if you miss us in between each wednesday mike aren't you putting some fun new things on our patreon some playlists some mike's thoughts yeah because nobody in my actual life ever cared about a playlist i share with them i started (laughs) posting it on patreon so there you go i made a fall into autumn playlist with some songs that remind me of the season not necessarily all pop punk songs either so far thousands of patrons out there yeah as long as you have spotify thank you all we had a blast and we hope you had the time of your lives Good riddance. There was some good attitude in that. That was pretty good. That sucked. That was terrible. Better than you, Mike. Like, way better. No. (laughs) Yeah. It's just hard to do it every week. 